Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee, and today's show, Mitch Light of The Athletic joins us. We will talk Vanderbilt baseball. The news today presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland and Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at sbinjurylaw.com. Vanderbilt beats North Alabama on Tuesday night, final in that one, 3-2. Dominic Keegan hits a double and a triple and drives in a run. The winning pitcher in that one, Nelson Berkwich, and the save goes to Nick Maldonado. The Commodores travel to Oxford this weekend with a series with Ole Miss. Vanderbilt now 35-10 overall, 16-7 in the Southeastern Conference. Mitch appears on our guest line. That's presented by our friends Scott and Missy Tannen at Bowlin Branch. You've heard me rave about Bowlin Branch sheets for years And for good reason. They are the most comfortable sheets I have ever slept on. They get more comfortable with every washing. They are made of 100% organic cotton. It's all rain-fed. Those things make a difference. The only way you can figure this out for yourself is to try it, which you can do by going to bowlandbranch.com. That is B-O-L-L. If you enter the promo code VANDY, you get $50 off your first set of sheets. Anyway, Try them. You can try them free for 30 days. You can return them if you don't like them after that point, but you're not going to want to. Anyway, help out the friends of the podcast at Bowling Branch and do yourself a favor for which you will thank me later. Mitch Light joins me from The Athletic. Today, we're going to talk some Vanderbilt baseball. Mitch, hope you're well. I'm doing very well, Chris. Thank you, sir. Well, I guess you'd like to see Vanderbilt doing a little bit better in terms of health. It's been a shock to see the lineup card <laughs> the last week or two not just the, the jack lighter thing but i go to the ballpark last night i see the lineup um i've got a, a thing for fielding and i got a thing for the lineup and i start to write dom keegan in because i see his name in the lineup and I automatically write him down on the first base slot and about 15 seconds later i notice he's playing catcher and i'm going what the heck and you find out that they got rodriguez banged up. They got Romero banged up. Uh, Bolger we haven't seen now in about a week. He's banged up. Isaiah Thomas was banged up. He's back. I just feel like you need an air traffic controller to assess everything that's going on these days with players in and out of the lineup. Yeah, I I think this is, you know, we've both been following Vanderbilt baseball about the same time, and this is probably the most, no, I would say definitely the most amount of injuries and in, in and out of lineup that we've seen from both position players and pitchers. And it's kind of a credit to the roster that they're in the situation that they are with, with, with the amount of injuries they've had. And, you know, we, we both said before the season, we've, we've amended that because of the injuries that we thought this was the deepest pitching staff of the Tim Corbin era. Um, it's showing its depth by surviving the injuries, but it's clearly not what we thought it would be. And, and the lineup is showing its depth as well. Um, get, you know, you can put a guy like Troy Lanevin and he hits the ball hard and, and um, you know, just uh, Spencer um, Jones. Uh, yeah, sorry, Spencer Jones. You know, he's been playing in and out, but he, he's hitting the ball pretty well, especially in SEC games. So, you know, you, you don't feel like uh, 
you're losing when he's there. I thought I did not expect to see Rodriguez last night because I know they've been trying to give him some rest. And I thought, uh, you know, with Romero out, what's the freshman catcher? Um, Espinal. Espinal, who has played. Uh, so I think he, I don't think he's caught any. He's had some at bats. I thought maybe we'd see him and maybe good thing Corbs doesn't think this way because I'm thinking, hey, you know, North Alabama's by far the worst team they're going to play. So you, you you throw them in there for his first start. But, uh, you know, obviously they wanted to give CJ a rest. And, you know, Keegan uh, did an admirable, admirable job behind the plate um, there. So I, I wasn't aware of Bulger. I didn't know if Bulger was an injury or if they just liked the way Laniv was swinging the bat and they wanted Cooper Davis back in there. So I really I wasn't aware that that Bulger was banged up as well. Yeah, Bulger's an injury. Hopefully not going to be one that keeps him out too long. But yeah, poor Dom Keegan last night, and I'm not I'm not slamming the kid at all. He came to campus as a catcher, but he's not been playing there. But, I mean, they steal five bases on him last night. Sometimes the throws were not very good. That just was a tough spot to put a guy in. Now, I think that I think it'll be interesting to see. Keegan could get drafted because somebody might project him as a catcher. And you might walk away last night saying, ah, he's not a catcher. He can't do this or that. I don't think last night was a real fair comparison because suddenly you drop a kid in that spot who's been playing first base all year. I don't really take away Keegan is not a catcher out of last night. But what I do take away is that right now they really need their regular catchers back. Yeah, and I guess, you know, um, I did not watch too much of the game last night. I had to, my son had a game and then I had work to do. So I had it kind of on off to the side and I was following it. So I didn't realize I stole that many bases. But uh, yeah, I mean, in a different world, a different situation, Keegan might be venerable to everyday catcher. You know, he was moved um, to first base because they had some decent catching depth and also because that was kind of Julian Fonte was, you know, not hitting and struggling and and needed some insurance back there if they, a couple of years ago if they needed to remove Infante uh, from the lineup at any point, really. So, um, yeah, I think that's accurate. So you can't just throw a guy behind the plate for the first time in two years and just say, okay, he's not a catcher. I mean, you know, so um, kind of shows it's – and I think he – as you mentioned, Chris, you know, uh, uh, a major league team might look at him as a potential catcher. I think Keith Law was in town and he had his – kind of scattering report on the athletic uh, from the weekend and, and kind of mentioned that specifically about Keegan, that he's a guy that a, a major league team might, might uh, try to shift back behind the plate. How worried are you about Jack Leiter? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's not a cop out. I just think we, you know, it, you got to be a little worried because first of all, he's been getting hit hard and they obviously for what, you know, I don't think any of us know, you might exactly what happened or the scenario was, if you know, I, I take them at their word. It's just rest. And I expect them to pitch this week. Um, but I just, it's all speculative. We just, we don't know. Um, if it's just workload and kind of a week off and he'll feel better than he's felt in two months and, and has better command and all that, then, then there's not much to get worried. But if he goes to Oxford and gets a good hitting team and gets hit hard again, then you'd say, okay, this is, you can't just say he's in a rough patch. You say kind of he is what he is right now. And, you know, it sounds like coaching cliche, but like what Corbis has been saying is like most of his, most of the top pitchers at Vanderbilt have had the opportunity to kind of ease into their role and, and been, a, been able to fail. Um, Jack, that's not really been the case because the last year he was very good. You know, he didn't have that one good start in, in our one good appearance in, 
Arizona, but pitched well and then obviously was was dominant at the beginning of this year. So and and there won't be a next year for Jack Leiter because of his draft age. So um, kind of long winded answer of saying I don't really know. Um, you know, we're, we're going to find out pretty soon, I guess. Yeah, we are. And some people will say, well, if Leiter doesn't pitch this weekend, it's time to panic. And maybe it is, but it might just be. Hey, we think he can go, but we're going to be extra cautious because really what we need him for is the NCAA tournament. So whatever happens this weekend, really unless it is he comes out and throws 98 and goes seven innings and commands all this stuff, then I think maybe we have an answer. But right. I, I don't know whatever, however this goes, whether it's he goes and throws two or three innings or he doesn't go at all or whatever, I don't know if it's going to be easy to – make a guess on where that goes this goes next right and i mean that's what we do as sports fans as media members we we react and speculate and and look forward but you just you just don't know uh, you know like you said he could go out and pitch two innings and not look great and that maybe that's the plan and then people are like well he can't go more than two innings he got hit hard and then he could throw a shutout against kentucky or whatever you know like here's the greatest example of it it's it's a very that's baseball but it's also in sports I mean, Patrick Riley, who I know pitched better against Florida, but throws a seven, you know, you're panicking because Jack Ryder can't go Saturday, and, and, and Riley throws seven innings of two-hit ball in, you know, a spot start. You know, who would have thought that would happen? So it's like we, we could sit there and speculate and think we know what's going to happen, but that's just a great example of that's why they play the games, and you, you, we'll, we'll figure it out soon enough. You know, the best thing I liked about Riley's start was two walks. Yeah, and yeah, not many hard hit balls. And I, you, were you there? I was there, and I was right behind home plate. And okay. it's funny oh, oh. because I got I got a different take on that game after watching the highlights. Behind home plate, I thought Alabama was just taking a lot of fastballs for no reason because you kind of knew it was coming. But then I watched it again from the other angle, from center field, from the camera. And for whatever reason, because I usually feel like I get a really good gauge from right behind home plate, but the fastball, for whatever reason, looked a lot more dominant from that angle than it did sitting in the stands. Not, not that it didn't look really good, and you could tell something was giving him trouble, but it looked a lot like lighters against South Carolina where he would just dial it up a letter high and they couldn't handle it. It was, it was just an unhittable pitch that day. Yeah, I mean, I, I was kind of the left field. I mean, I was beyond the Vanderbilt dugout uh, with my wife and son. So, you know, I didn't have, I mean, I had close, not, not a bad seat there. But you could tell you know, that's a pretty good, especially the top of that Alabama lineup, that's a pretty good hitting team. And when they're laying off the fastball and swinging through, you knew it was, it had you know, a little extra something. But I guess my question was, and not to complain about the umpiring, you know, who, who knows, but uh, on that, where it looked like you might have had a third strike to get out of the inning and then Alabama got that blue pit. Did you get a good view of that? I mean, obviously, I, I had a really poor yeah, view. Yeah, I thought that was strike three. Yeah, yes. so that's you know, that's what I'm saying. As well as he pitched, he easily could have gotten out of there with just one hit and one run. Yeah, there's a lot of groaning and grumbling about close pitches, and, and 80% of them, I'm, I'm right there going, uh, just be quiet. That was there was a ball. Right. But that was one where the I thought the gripe was legit. Right. Like, I, I'm a good enough and educated enough sports fan where I know that if I'm sitting, you know, uh, equal 
uh, like right near third base that I don't have quite as good a view as the umpire, so I can't really, but but that one to me, and just the reaction, you know, you can kind of tell by sometimes the reaction of the people behind home plate. They're the ones with the, you know, the fans there. So, I mean, no big deal, whatever, There's missed calls. I was just curious because I didn't go back and look at it or anything. I hate to use terms like strangest this or, or whatever this ever, but because you, there's a lot of games I've seen that yeah. I've forgotten, but I honestly can't remember a stranger start than what I saw out of Kumar Rocker. Because I'm sitting there taking copious notes the first three innings thinking, I'm going to be writing up another no-hitter at the end of this night. Um, or, or maybe a perfect game, who knows. And then just, bam, Jarvis hits that double where Bradfield is playing really, really, really shallow. Yeah, did I, I wasn't there that day. I, my comment to my son was like, I don't know if Bradfield misjudged it first because that was hard hit, but it wasn't a line drive. I said, it's rare that a ball is going to hit before the warning track and Enrique not catch it. So I wonder if he took a step in before you know, he misjudged it by a step. You know, I didn't see that, but as soon as I looked up and saw him running, I noticed he had to run an unusually long time. So I think it might have been both. Because, I mean, he was running for a good, I'm going to say three, four seconds before that ball hit the turf. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, again, I, I didn't know, but it just, I, there's not going to be too many times in his career where Bradfield does not catch a ball that hits before the warning track unless it's just an absolute line drive right over his head. Yeah, Jim Jarvis is a sidebar here, did something that I don't ever see anybody do, and that's that he chokes up with two strikes. He almost puts his hands on the barrel of the bat. It's, and, and then he's, and then he crouches down to where he's got like a seven-inch strike zone. That's exaggerating, but it, it's really yeah. odd to see. Yeah, but back to your point, I, I agree. I mean, the first two innings, you know, with seven strikeouts and two innings, it was, it was like laughable how, he, how dominant he was. Um, and then Alabama didn't have anything cheap. It was, you know, their BIP was very high. I'll give him that, you know. They, they were, but the they ball. were all hit hard. Yes. Yeah. There was nothing cheap. I mean, I, one of the things that I always talk about in baseball is like, you know, stats are important. Adding hits are important, all that stuff, but you can really feel, get a feel for how pitchers thrown by how much hard contact they give. And there's games where you can give up two or three runs without giving up hard, hard contact. And that was not the case in that game. So, I mean, yeah, the, the whole week, the, the both two games just shows you, you know, rocker gives up what six runs and they win, and then Patrick Riley gives up two runs, and they win. You know, just di different ways to win. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what it was with the light bulb turn. But, but, again, like, even when he was getting hit hard, he was still striking out batters, which contributed to, to the weird line that you mentioned. This season of the podcast made possible by Jody Jones Dentistry. You can find Jody at 55 Music Square East. Jody is the dentist in Nashville that all the stars go to, whether they are athletes, coaches, music stars, movie stars, and there's a reason for that. Jody is the number one cosmetic dentist in Nashville. He also does general dentistry. Jody is a former Commodore football player. He is a Vanderbilt football booster. Jody has made this season of the podcast possible. Super guy, does fantastic work. Go visit Jody Jones DDS today and tell him you heard about his business on the Vandy Sports Podcast. I have some pitching thoughts here. I think I want to save them to tomorrow with Chip Frederick just because I don't want to recycle the same content for another podcast. But 
for that reason, let's switch to hitting for a minute. Uh, and, and the lineup. Let's start here. I know you were in and out watching that game last night, but did you see the play that Carter Young made in the ninth? Yes. My yeah. goodness. That was, if that were like an SEC game and what was at stake, I mean, basically, they weren't necessarily going to lose the game, but it was going to be a tie game if he doesn't make that play. It's the play and the throw, I mean, just everything about it. I mean, he's made some great plays this year, but as far as impactful on, on you know, winning a game, that might be the best one. Yeah, I did not think he was going to get the runner at first, and he did by probably a half step. And he made it look so easy. He's not Connor Kaiser, but he's got some of that in him. With The thing about Kaiser that I liked was that the transfer was so smooth, right? He just he grabbed it and, and transferred it and threw it to first smoothly, and it was always right on the money. Carter... I don't know if he's that good in that area, but he's a lot closer than most people are. Yeah, he's there, there's a certain level of, you know, there's different degrees of being an awesome defensive shortstop that I'm sure scouts can differentiate. But like he's whatever that line is, like uh, of being a great defensive college shortstop, he's he's past it. You know, he he's a guy that makes makes great plays, takes outs away. Um, and, you know, he made a great play at Louisville on the gun and a runner out at the plate. Um, so, yeah, he has been just an incredible defensively. And that play specifically was, was great. Yeah, I don't know how I would rank. Kaiser, I think, is still the best defensive shortstop I've ever seen at Vanderbilt. And Swanson and, and Young, I don't know how I'd make that comp because – you start to forget some things in memory as the years pass, but my goodness, they were both great. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I'm not, again, I'm not considering to say one's better than the other. I know Kaiser from a reputation standpoint was considered to be the better fielder and um, was so steady for three years, but, um, and you know, like kind of a recency bias. So, um, but you know, Vanderbilt's been very fortunate, you know, Ethan Paul who struggled earlier in his career, on defensively at second base had the gifts a little but he played a very good you know wasn't um like as you know dramatic or sensational but he played a very good shortstop in 2019 as well I cannot ever remember them having anybody at shortstop who was erratic like they've had different flavors like Brian Harris wasn't super athletic but if he got his glove on it he was going to catch it and his throws were not a lot on them but they were always accurate uh, Vince Conde was really good. I think he won a gold glove. Sure. I mean, Who got benched after a bad game at LSU early in the Corbin era. You know what I'm thinking of? Um, Ryan Klosterman would have been the first shortstop that yeah. I remember, but I don't remember Klosterman being benched. Dominic De La Osa. Oh, that's right. Now, that's the one that, that had some issues, and that's why he ended up a left fielder. But, yeah, yeah, yeah that's about it. Played, Flaherty played first, and De La Osa played short, and then I think they lost the game – late against LSU and Baton Rouge on a Saturday night. And then uh, I think the next day, De La Osa maybe got the day off and Flaherty played short. And then, then De La Osa turned out to be a really good outfielder the next uh, year and a half. Yeah, I mean, they have been blessed. You think of them for pitching, but I'm not going to say they're shortstop you, but they boy, they've had some some great ones at the college level. Um, One thing that I kind of filed away in the back of my head last night and you've seen this with Tate. Tate's hitting the ball pretty hard. 
but they're not getting out. They're not getting the warning track. I, I don't know. I, I guess didn't that's just what we expected. Didn't he hit the wall against Alabama? Yeah, the, uh, yeah, I think, he, I think he did now that I think about it. But one thing that concerned me a little bit last night, and this might just be nothing. This might have happened to anybody. But they stole a base last night and ended up scoring a run because when he went to make the tag, the ball popped loose. And I'm like, I'm wondering if that's a kid that there's like a grip strength thing there. I'm probably just reaching for stuff. Maybe that ball... Uh, gets out of the glove and, and the angle that, you know, th- that happens to anybody, I guess, is a good way to say it. But it, it made me wonder just a little bit. I'm like, I wonder how close to full strength he is with that left hand because that's the bottom hand on the bat, and that was his glove hand that he dropped the ball with last night. Yeah, I mean, don't need speculate. You know, it could have been, you know, that, that happens on a play when you're trying to snap a tag and, you know, you just drop the ball. So, uh, you know, it, don't know. I mean, obviously, uh, like, you know, he, he wouldn't be playing if he if he couldn't, you know, do the things he needed to do defensively. So I wouldn't be concerned about it. Yeah, it's interesting to me that they have now kept him in there for two full weeks because, you know, they're not afraid to play Nolan over there. And I thought Nolan did fine. So I'm guessing they're seeing everything in workouts. And even if he's not 100 percent, which I'm sure he's not quite, um, they're obviously satisfied enough to keep him there. I'm just curious, Mitch. Because you still got a lot of things in flux. And we talked about the injury situation. And, and let me start here, okay? I want, I want to get your response. I think that I don't ever remember a team at Vanderbilt that had anywhere close to this number of injuries. And I'm, I'm going to say by a factor of two and maybe three over whatever their second worst injury-prone year has been. Uh, yeah, I would agree. I mean, have to go back and think year, year over year. Um, but I mean, I can't can't imagine. It's, you know, four key right-handed pitchers, not and that's not including Ryder. And then you know, obviously the position players have been in and out. I mean, Carter Young. Uh, I'm trying to think. In the lineup: Young and Nolan and Bradfield are pretty much the only ones. They are the only ones who've started every game, yeah, and and so. Nolan has now started three different spots. Yeah, so yeah, I, I think you're or, or four if you want to go DH, right? So yeah, I think that's that's yeah. a fair statement about the injuries, no doubt about it. Yeah, because I'm thinking 2019. I remember kind of sitting up a little bit and going, "Man, they really got banged up this year." Because Demarco missed about six weeks, uh, Gonzalez missed some time, or, or no, Gonzalez just got benched. Uh, Davis yeah. missed some time and then lost his job. I think Steven Scott, was he a little banged up that year? I don't remember. But the, I remember I 2019, yeah. yeah. 2019, something like that, unusual amount of injuries, and this this dwarfs that. Yeah, I mean, it's no, there's no doubt about it. I mean, we're just, especially, I mean, the, the keep mentioning it, but just the, the, the bullpen and um, guys that would be pitching major significant innings, um, just not available. So if you've got the full complement of guys on your offense and they're all well enough to play, how do you line up? Uh, we kind of talked about this a few weeks ago, and the easy answer was to bench Carter Young. I mean, not Carter Young, Cooper Davis, because he wasn't hitting. Um, but he, at least against in the Alabama series, and, and he got cheated of a hit as well because he's the one that hit the ball when uh, that hit C.J. Rodriguez. Um, I think he got a hit, actually. I think the rule is a batter gets a single. Uh huh. Okay, that's interesting. I wonder if, like, what happens if 
Okay, I, I didn't know that was a hit. So that, that okay, so we got credit for a hit there. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, that that's a. I'm thinking. Look at the lineup right now. Um, I mean, I don't think Troy Lanieve's part of the equation, but against righty, the way he swung the bat last weekend was pretty impressive. Spencer Jones swung the bat well. I don't know if you want to go with a righty lefty platoon. I don't know the splits well enough. Uh, to know where, like, if Parker Nolan only bats versus a righty, uh, you know, do you, do, you, do you platoon Bulger and Nolan? So I, I, this is a bad answer. I don't know. I, it would it, Very difficult decisions. Yeah, this might be the one year that I could see them in Omaha with three or four different lineups. Right, which you never, almost never see from his teams. This Like, late in the year, they, they've really solidified the lineup, and I think that's the point of the question. Yeah, I, I think that's where you take a deep dive into platoon splits and, and that kind of thing. I mean, I think that it's safe to say, if Thomas is well, I don't think he's coming out. Bradfield's right. not going anywhere. Young's not going anywhere. Nolan plays somewhere. It seems like Colwick is not going anywhere. Keegan's not going anywhere. Right. Rodriguez, if he's healthy, he's not going anywhere. So really our questions are all on that left side, third and left and DH, and, and it might just be DH's whoever's left over is the third best of those options. Right, and I'm looking at the SEC stats right now, um, SEC only. Bulger's batting 300. Now, I know he's struggled a little bit lately, but um, he's third on the team, and he's slugging 486. Gonzalez is 274, is fifth on the team. Slugging 479, you know, Noland and Young are the two at the bottom for 239 and 235 respectively. But like we said, Young obviously isn't coming out and he's slugging 592 and has eight home runs in league play. Um, you know, so Spencer Jones is hitting he, Spencer Jones is really the only reserve with a big enough sample size. He's hitting 317 in, in SEC play. Jones is the one that I just keep thinking He's going to have one of those days where he gets four hits and has two home runs and there's a double in there because I've seen him hit the ball really hard a lot of times uh, you know, that didn't go fair. And that doesn't obviously count the stats, but it tells you something about the guy's ability to drive a ball. But here's the reason I don't think it's happening this year. In SEC play, 41 at bat, 16 strikeouts, no walks. Now, granted, his strike zone is the biggest in the league, I think, but at some point, he's got to learn to have better bat control. And, and maybe that happens next year. Like, if if we're having a conversation next year and Spencer Jones is like an All-American and one of the top hitters in the league, it wouldn't totally shock me. And, and he missed some time preseason. I'm sure that hurt. I mean, he missed five months or so where he didn't swing the bat at all. I'm sure that hurts. But I would be really interested to see a reboot of Spencer Jones next year because I think there's some talent there, but there's a lot of rough edges that needed to be sanded over. And we don't know what his role as a pitcher will be next year, too. That, that too, affect, yeah. If that will affect um, him. But I, I could see him being a pitcher and then being just a lefty DH. By the way, they may have a two-way player coming in Carter Holton um, down out of Georgia. I know we don't talk a lot about recruiting, and, and his cousin happens to be a good friend of mine, so I get a lot of updates, but two-way has apparently come up in the conversation that kid is going to break or come close to breaking a lot of state records down in Georgia and I think it had a playoff game the other day where he might have like thrown a no-hitter and hit three home runs one of those kind of kids so that's one to keep on your radar now I don't know if they get him through the draft or not but he's having a really interesting season down there in Georgia 
Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you know, obviously I don't know what level he plays in, but Georgia high school baseball is obviously very good. Yeah, he's not he's not the highest, not the lowest, but there's some good kids that he's playing against from what I understand. So, Mitch, anything else that we didn't get to today, baseball-related or anything else that you find worth the discussion here? Um, so do you think, assuming Jack Leiter starts Saturday, you think Riley starts Sunday, no doubt about it? I think he has to. Yeah. I would think so. So, um, oh yeah, go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say, I don't know that you locked that in as the expectation out. I don't know how uh, – you know, Ole Miss is going to be a tough one uh, in Oxford. I mean, they hit up and down the lineup. But to me, the fact that he can go, what, 110 pitches or whatever it was, uh, that that as much as anything, and he kept his velo, was really encouraging. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um so speaking of things that you never see on the baseball field, um, were you watching the Ole Miss, I mean, no, the Arkansas-Georgia game? I think it was Saturday night. I was watching some of it. So did you see the play? I think Garrett Blaylock was actually up, where I think Georgia had like a couple runners on base. There was a high inside pitch, and Blaylock kind of got out of the way, and the ball went back. And then like, the announcers who aren't there, they're all remotely, the umpires, so they don't know what's going on. The umpires get together, and then they call the, they just say third out. And I did I, see it. Like, I did. Yeah. What the hell is going on? And I, I was thinking, I was just bizarre. So what happened was, and I'd never seen this. They had a different angle when they came back from commercial. The wild pitch went. I, I guess the on deck batter thought it it hit Blaylock, and he picked up the ball. And that was an interference, and that was a third out. It ended up not mattering because Georgia won the game. But imagine that. You're trying to knock off the number one team in the country. you got runners on base and a good hitter up, and your, your on-deck batter picks, picks up the ball. Yeah, in the kids' defense, it did sound like there was a, like a pop or something, like it hit somebody or something. It seemed like to me, I mean, it, it seemed like that, that it might have been a hit batsman situation in place, and I'm, I'm sure that's what he thought too. But, yeah, everybody was befuddled. I thought, because I didn't see that either, I thought, oh, um, he must have been out of the batter's box when he made contact with the ball. Because I thought what happened was it maybe hit the knob of the bat and he had a foot out of the box or something like that as he as he tried to bail or whatever. But, yeah, I've never seen that before either. That was bizarre. Yeah, one time, this isn't the same, but one time when my son was bat boying, it was one of his first years, so he was pretty young, he was probably nine years old, um, there was a play, I think Conrad Greger was up or something, and there was a wild throw home, and I don't know, my son went out to run out near the near home plate to get the bat, and the umpire was very nice to him, went over afterwards and basically said, until I call timeout, do not come onto the field, so fortunately Gabe didn't screw anything up or any, you know, anything in the game, but that was a... That, that was a lesson right there for, for a young bat boy. Speaking of, of things that don't happen often and father-son lessons, I want to see how you would have handled this as a dad, okay? Um, <laughs> my son, I, I get a text last night. I'm at the game. My wife's like, I can't find his glove anywhere. And I, we saw it Saturday night because he was throwing in the backyard with somebody. And so, like, I, I, it's got to be here somewhere. I thought maybe – I. I Maybe I could have gotten mixed up and he left it outside. I'm thinking a wild animal dragged it off or something. I don't know what happened. But so I'm thinking this morning because he's got a game tonight. I'm like, I don't know what to do. You, you hate to go buy another glove, right? Spend 50 or $60 if something shows up. Um, he apparently used my glove at practice last night, um, which is too big for him. And it's 
thirty uh, something years old, and it's you know the, the lining is ripped apart inside, and it's just not a really good alternative. Um, and, and then <laughs> you know it's like, do, do you go buy him a glove? Um, the, the thing that I brought out as an alternative, and I don't know if I need to take the walk of shame for this, is I was digging through my daughter's old softball bag. She used to play a little bit just in case something got stuck in there. By, because when you, when you search an hour for a glove and you can't find it, like, you know it's somewhere that you can't, that yeah. you're not thinking. So I'm like, hey, wait a minute. Uh, Bella's old softball glove is about the size of his baseball glove. And, and in the pinch of our life depended on it, and we had no better alternatives, uh, m- maybe that works. Now, the glove has got some pink piping on it. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, d- does that make me bad dad or what does that make me? Does that make me resourceful it, or I think it's resourceful in one game? You know, maybe this is 20 years ago. No, but I think now, you know, times have changed. Pink's okay. You know, I think, you, 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 you know, your son's, you know, he's not, a, he's, he's, he's a tough kid. He's not afraid to wear a little pink there. So I think you'd be okay. I'm going to spin it and say this was Mother's Day weekend. And you saw like okay. Freddie Freeman with the pink bat, and so oh, yeah, I'm just Yankees gonna had a bunch of pink socks and everything. Yeah, so I'm just gonna spin it and say we forgot it wasn't Sunday. But no, this actually has a happy ending. I was I was picking through the garage, and we've got a pile of stuff down there. We've we've um, you know we bought some new scooters, and there's uh, you know trading one bike for another, but haven't given the other one away. And there's just a pile of stuff. And I picked up an umbrella and the glove was somehow lying under there. So I, I didn't have to make the difficult decision. The other alternative was maybe taking a Sharpie to the piping and coloring it in. But then it's like, well, what if Bella gets interested in softball again? So um, anyway, th- these are the difficult times we face in the Lee household, these kind of decisions. Well, then things are going pretty well, then, if that's as bad as it's getting. So, but exactly. Uh, glad it all worked out. Glad he found his glove. Yeah, anyway. All right, Mitch, thank you for joining us. Tell folks what's going on at The Athletic, where to follow you on Twitter and all those things. Um, at Mitch Light on Twitter. And um, just uh, a lot of good college football coverage at The Athletic. I'm trying to think there's anything. Actually, in Stu Mandel, Stuart Mandel, our, our managing, our, our editor-in-chief's mailbag, his Every week, there's some. There's a question from, I guess, a Vanderbilt fan in England had a good question about Vanderbilt. Um, so uh, you can check that out. But uh, and I'm sure a lot of Titans fans, Joe Rexworth, been doing a lot of Titans stuff too. Hope we have a column tonight on the Titans schedule uh, release. So yeah, just uh, check that stuff out. It's always football season, isn't it? it well, it is. It is, and uh, you know. NFL does a masterful job of uh, stretching stuff out and making events out of schedules and stuff, so, so definitely keeps us busy. Mitch, thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next week. Sounds good, Chris. Take care, bud. All right, he's Mitch Light. I'm Chris Lee. Thanks for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Should have one more of these episodes coming later.